I'm really impressed by the folks that have come this morning, especially given the the weather. Uh, it's kind of rough this winter, I, I would think. I, I come from California, so I, I don't know. I, I'm probably pretty spoiled. And I know that last Sunday was New Year's Day, but I would like to wish all of you a very happy and prosperous New Year this year. You know, it seems like whenever we turn from one year to the next year, it, it, we have a time to reflect. We have a time to reflect on the year that just went by and look forward to the new year to come and imagine what possibilities that new year might bring. And it's normal to remember all of the big events of the previous year. And it seems like all the news outlets, they put together this anthology of, you know, what happened, what big events happened over the last year, both good and bad. And how could, how could we forget this year in politics? You know, regardless of the outcome, uh, this election year has been like Star Trek, boldly taking us where no one has gone before. <laughs> and speaking of science fiction, the end of this past year was very traumatic for uh, Star Wars fans uh, with the loss of Carrie Fisher, who will forever be remembered as Princess Leia. But the tolling of New Year's is also a time for looking forward. And many of us, we, we make goals, we make resolutions for ourselves. We want to do something, maybe big or small, to improve ourselves or to accomplish something big. And even if you're not the resolutions or goals type of person, you, you might have a specific purpose in mind for this year. You might be that person who says, you know, this is going to be the year that I dot, 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 fill in the blank. This is finally going to be the year that I do X, Y, Z. It's natural to want to accomplish something. Even if we're not the record-keeping type, the transition from one year to the next becomes a natural evaluation or a checkup on our life and, and where it's going and what purpose it's serving. That's because for most of us, we all want our lives to serve a greater purpose. Now, for me, as a man, as a husband, and as a father, as an employee, and as a boss, as somebody who is seeking to, to minister to other people, I ask myself this question. What legacy am I leaving? And what legacy am I leaving behind? Now, especially as my kids are approaching adulthood, I ask myself this question all the time. Have I been a good enough father to them? Have I guided them towards health and success? You know, as you know, somebody who's a professional or in ministry, I have to ask myself the question, have I made an impact? Have I made things better? Or have I made them worse? And for my life in general, I wonder, how will I be remembered? How will Glenn Matlock be remembered? Do you ever ask yourself those same questions? When we begin to ask those questions, especially around this time of year, we look forward to the current year, wondering what it will bring, what we'll accomplish. And we wonder if this might be the year. We wonder if this might be the year that's filled with what we call red-letter days. Red-letter days. 
For the last three centuries, the expression Red Letter Day has been used to describe a day or an event that is memorable, that is important, that is happy, or that is unusually significant. It was originally a reference to the red letters that the church used to mark religious holidays and feasts and of the saints' days. Because red letters, they stand out from all the rest. You know, you notice in our Bibles where we see the red letters for the words of Christ. This is what Jesus said. Hey, you see red letters. That's Jesus talking because it stands out. It calls attention to the fact that it's Jesus talking, and rightfully so. And as followers of Christ, we want our lives to stand out like these red letters. We're hoping for a red-letter year this year. And our hope is that this year will be filled with several big milestones that serve as ingredients for an incredible legacy. A legacy is essentially how we're going to be remembered. A legacy can be good, it could be bad, it could be positive, or it could be negative. But what we would really like to have is a red-letter legacy, one that was really noteworthy and worth remembering. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a man who left just one of those legacies, a red-letter legacy. And that man was named Nehemiah. But before we explore his legacy, we're going to take a look at some, some of his own words in our Bibles. So if you'll join me and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah, we're going to be reading uh, chapter 13, verse 22. And you can join me there on your smartphone, your tablet, or your analog version of uh, the Bible in print, perhaps even one with the red letters marked. So that's Nehemiah chapter 13. And we're just going to be reading verse 22. Nehemiah 13, 22. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Now, the book of Nehemiah, it's a historical book, but as we just read, you kind of realize that it reads like his memoirs because that's really what it is. And and on the surface, this particular passage, it seems pretty dry because he's commanding the Levites those were the priests, to go and purify themselves and keep the Sabbath day holy. But then he asked God to remember him. He wants God to remember him and show mercy and great love to him. Not only that, but he says, also. Which means he's asked for this before. And in fact, in the book of Nehemiah, not less than four times, Nehemiah asked God, remember me. Remember me. In Nehemiah 5.19, he writes, Remember me with favor, O my God, for all I have done for these people. In Nehemiah 13.14, he writes, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Our verse says, Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And in the very last verse of this book, 13.31, He writes, remember me with favor, O my God. In fact, it might seem like this is the refrain of the entire book. God, I want you to remember me. And if we knew nothing else, we'd assume that Nehemiah was a man who was in desperate need 
of affirmation. We might also assume that he's a glory hog. Or perhaps he's narcissistic, or at the very least, selfish, asking for God to keep on remembering him. But in context, that's not what's happening in this book. And what Nehemiah is after, it's not his own glory and his own remembrance. He's after the glory and remembrance of his God. His whole purpose is to praise God and to make his name great. He wants to know God, and he wants to make God known. And what God's word tells us is that those of us who seek after God's glory, who seek to make him known in this world, they will be lifted up. They will be remembered. Jesus tells us himself in Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Those of us who have made the decision to follow God, we want his favor, we want his blessing, and we want the love and the security and acceptance that he gives. And and most people, whether they put their faith in God or not, they want this too. And and I'm going to stop for a moment right now and, and let you know that that's the message of the Bible. That's the message of Christianity. It's that that love and that security and that acceptance, that favor... And that being safe in the arms of God and rescued, that's freely available to anyone who wants it. And the only requirement for admission to that is that we simply let God love us the way he already does. We just let him do it. We don't have to do anything but let him. Now, getting back to our passage, it's not wrong to want the favor of God or the blessing. Nearly everyone on the planet, we want that. But the problem isn't that we want the glory of God. It's that we want the glory of other people. We want the favor of this world. Because what makes God's name great stands at odds with the world. And that's what we saw if we were to look and and read and study together the whole book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, he was a servant to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And before Nehemiah came on the scene, and and several decades before, there was a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar who came and conquered the Jews, captured them, and took them back with him to Babylon. Now, 70 years later, the Persians, they conquered the Babylonians, but they had a different management style. They didn't want all these slaves around. In fact, they said, go back home. You guys can go back home. Go back to where you came from. And so the king of Persia allowed many of the Jews to go back, go back to Israel, go back to Jerusalem. Yet many of the Jews, they they just stayed where they were at in Persia. I mean, that's where they grew up. Yeah, my grandparents and my grandparents' grandparents, they may have been in Israel, but I grew up here. And, you know, it's not the easiest thing to pick up and move hundreds of miles away, especially when what that really means is walking hundreds of miles with all your possessions on your back. And many of these Jews, they were hard workers. They had actually done kind of well for themselves in Persia. So why leave? Such was the case with Nehemiah. He was the king's cupbearer, which meant that he was very close to the most powerful man on the planet at that time. And his job was to make sure that whatever was offered the king to drink was high quality and free of poison. Today, that would be like being the king's butler. Or, or, or the president's butler. That's not a bad job at all. But while he was in Persia, he heard a report from one of his fellow countrymen 
Because even though many of these Jews had returned to Israel and back to Jerusalem, things weren't going great. And he gave this bad report about what had happened there. They were living under the thumb of corrupt leaders, and they were bullied, and and they were belittling their God and their belief system. And at that time, the Jews in that area of the world, and at that time, they were weak, they were demoralized, they were the laughingstock of the entire Persian Empire. And even though a previous leader had gone and rebuilt the temple, they were still like the blind leading the blind. They didn't have strong spiritual leadership there. In other words, they were playing church, but God wasn't in their play. And when Nehemiah heard this, he was so overcome with sadness and grief that he wept. He mourned for his fellow brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews living in Jerusalem. He mourned for his people, but most of all, he mourned for his God. And for days afterward, whenever he had a chance, he was praying and he was fasting until finally he decided it's time to do something about it. And so he asked the king for a leave of absence so he could go and help his brothers rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And that took guts. Because you didn't just approach a man who really actually believes that he is a god himself and ask if you can be excused from your duties. But God was with Nehemiah, and the king allowed him to go. And not only allowed him to go, but gave him the supplies and the authority that he needed to go. But when Nehemiah arrived, it was bad. Not only were the reports that he'd heard earlier true, but it was worse. The city was in shambles. And the people who were doing okay financially, they were doing so by cheating the most vulnerable people out of their ability to live and, and earn anything. So what was Nehemiah's solution? Was he going to go throw a big benefit concert? Was he going to hold an outdoor revival? Was he going to make a speech or hold a special vigil? No, his plan was to get them to build a wall. He wanted them to build a wall around the city. And and if you could just hear the reaction of the people at that time, they would say, do you want us to do what? Nehemiah, maybe you lost your eyesight or your hearing while you were in Persia, but take a look around and listen to these people. They're beaten down. They're feeling really bad right now. Many are hungry. Many are going without. Everyone is weak. We're having troubles with the surrounding leaders that are bullying us and beating us down little by little. And you want us to spend what little energy, what little resource we have and build a wall? Are you insane? But Nehemiah wasn't insane. You see, as the story goes, he led them in rebuilding the wall around the entire city. In just 52 days, that's less than two months. And that was while the people were hungry and desperate. That was when the economy was at rock bottom. That was at a time when the temple, the temple in the holy city, was nothing more than an artifact, nothing more than a museum of their failure. Now, I'll tell you, I work for the Corps of Engineers. That's my day job. And that's really the government's best and most trusted builder in terms of construction projects. When the government builds or constructs things, they turn to the Corps. And in fact, several agencies are being directed by Congress to give their projects over to the Corps because they get things done. And I can tell you this for a fact. We could not build this wall in 52 days, even without all the troubles that Nehemiah had. 
And that's awesome. But that begs a question. So? So what? So you have a wall. Big deal. Well, it was a big deal because it made the city safer. And it proved that if they could rebuild a wall around the city in less than two months, then they could rebuild their homes. They could rebuild their businesses. It made it safe to go to the temple and hear the word of God. They didn't have to stay home at their shop or or at at their home with one eye open waiting for people to come in and, and bully them and harass them. And it also set something up that was great because it enabled Ezra, whose own life journey had prepared him for this very moment to lead a revival in the temple, a revival that consisted of reading God's word. And not only did they just read God's word, but he trained people to translate it and make it clear for people to understand. And for many, this was the first time they really experienced a true encounter with God. You see, for Nehemiah, it wasn't just about a wall. It was about knowing God and making him known. And this is how he left his own red-letter legacy. And for those of you who are keeping notes this morning, in your notes, the big idea is that a red-letter legacy comes from faith in Christ by prioritizing God's Word, that's the Bible, and making Christ known. It's from faith in Christ, prioritizing God's word, and making Christ known. You see, when you begin to live God's word, it changes your life. It changes your family. It changes your community. Spread far enough, it changes the world. And in Nehemiah's lifetime, that's exactly what what happened. His legacy was that he prevented the Jews from becoming a mere footnote in history from being wiped off the map for all intents and purposes. In fact, rather than being just a footnote in history, his people would be the very heart of history because through them would emerge Jesus Christ who came and died for the sins of the entire world. And Jesus, whose sacrifice makes it possible not only for Jews, but for people everywhere in all corners of the globe in all times to experience love and security and acceptance from God. Jesus, whose resurrection proves the fact that he is himself God and that he rules forever in heaven. And Jesus, whose ascension into heaven makes it clear that one day he will return and make everything good and perfect forever. So Nehemiah's legacy, not bad at all. And that's why his memoirs and his accomplishments are in the Bible. You see, his legacy was a red-letter legacy. And even though we can't remember who ruled in England when this country won its independence from them, or who won the Boston Marathon last year, maybe somebody knows that, but or even who our current Secretary of Defense is, and I know some people know that, but I guarantee there are people in this room who don't know that. We know about a Persian slave who built a wall nearly 2,500 years ago in a dusty, forgotten city in a tiny desert province on the other side of the earth in a place that most of us have never gone or will never go. He left a legacy that withstood the test of time. And in your notes, that's the big deal. What can we take away from Nehemiah's example? It's this, is that a red-letter legacy, it lasts. 
But individual legacies, our own personal agendas, they fade. So what legacy will we leave? What legacy will this church leave? More to the point, how do we leave a legacy that matters? And how do we leave a red-letter legacy? Now that's the question we need to ask ourselves as we proceed into this new year. You see, if we apply the Nehemiah formula, then we need to be about one thing. And that is making Jesus known. We need to make Jesus known. That's how you leave a legacy that lasts. That's how you leave a legacy that matters. And while there are many great goals and endeavors like saving money or losing weight or going on some grand vacation, none of that's going to last. That will fade. I'm not saying those are bad, but they won't last. They don't build a red-letter legacy. Sure, there are even spiritual goals that you can pursue that are great and worthwhile, like reading your Bible more or or praying more frequently or meditating or maybe you're going to start journaling this year. And if you want to do that, I, I hope that you have great success with that and that builds your faith this year. But if we're going to make one resolution this year, then one thing that we ought to be doing is, is making God known right here in our own world. Make him known to the people around us. You see, Nehemiah's goal was that God be made known in the world, both to his people and around the world. And centuries later, Jesus would pray in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's why his parting instructions to his disciples in his great commission, was to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You see, if you haven't already caught on, making Jesus known, we're really talking about evangelism. It means sharing the gospel with others because a legacy is not something that you keep and polish and put in a, in a bookcase. It's something that you pass on. And that's what evangelism is. It's passing this legacy of God on to other people. And I know that might seem like a tall order. (laughs) Glenn, that's like the one resolution I decided purposely not to make this year because it's so scary. It's so difficult. It's intimidating. It's so far out of reach. You might say, how about I just read my Bible more often? How about... I say that this will be the year that I join a Bible study or a growth group. How about I just write a check? Invariably, when it comes to evangelism, we clam up, or or maybe we deflect and we change the subject. Because none of us likes the idea of being some kind of pushy salesperson or cold calling people or going door to door. None of us likes the idea of foisting our own beliefs on other people. But if we really believe what we say that we believe then why are we so ashamed when it comes to telling other people about Jesus? And and understand, I I want you to make this clear this morning. I'm preaching first and foremost to myself because I struggle with this too. You know, last night I was getting gas and I saw a gentleman, he had a rental car and he had trouble getting his gas tank open and I had no problem walking over to him and helping him, him get that gas tank open. But ask me to share the gospel with some stranger at a gas station? Well, that's scary. 
And, and when you hear that somebody is about to buy some big purchase or something like that, but you know where they're going to go get it, they could actually go somewhere else and get it for half the price, what do you do? You go out of your way to tell them about it, right? Hey, don't buy it there. Buy it here. You can get it for half the price. And we're not just talking about your friends. We're talking about perfect strangers. Yet ask us to share Jesus with somebody else. That's scary. You know, if we really believe that everyone spends eternity somewhere, what does it say about us that we don't have the nerve to share the good news of Jesus? Now, I know I'm stepping on toes here. I'm sure of it. I know that there are some who would say, well, I just don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. But I hate to tell you this, but there's no such thing. Because saying that you don't have the gift of evangelism is like saying that you don't have the spiritual gift of Christian. Saying that you don't have the gift of evangelism is like being a business person who says, I don't have the gift of business. Maybe you don't have the gift of public speaking, or maybe cold calling, but all of us can play a role in making Jesus known, whether it's directly or indirectly. It could be like Nehemiah building a wall, which set up something even greater to happen. You know, packing a box to be sent to a needy child overseas or praying for people around you in your path or taking soup over to a neighbor or starting just a simple conversation with a coworker, Maybe helping someone who is serving on a mission either overseas or right here in our own backyard. These are all part of evangelism. These are all part of making God known in our world. You see, God is on the move anytime we do something to help make him known. Our job is that in what we do, we can draw a line that connects to making Jesus known in this world. All of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus are a testament to this. Maybe some of us can trace our red-letter day of salvation back to one particular person in our lives. But I would say for most of us, there were several people that came into our lives that became part of our big story. Not just the pastor, not just the person who prayed that first prayer with us, but ordinary people doing ordinary things that made us feel like the signs were all around us that God was literally chasing us down, making it feel like he loved us and was pursuing us. Everyday people making a difference, making God known throughout the world. God was on the move in everyday people in our own moment of salvation. And even so, it's time for us to be bold about this. Even if we don't feel like we're the best preachers or teachers, all of us can have a conversation. All of us can get to know people and build relationships. All of us can share our own story when the opportunity comes. And as for the rest of our goals, if you want to get better at reading your Bible or praying, then make a resolution to tell somebody about Jesus this year. I guarantee it'll make you want to read more of your Bible, study more of your Bible, and pray more often. So to live this out, and this is the last part of a fill-in-the-blank of your notes, and if we want to begin building our own legacy this year, we have to make Jesus known by building relationships, by praying for opportunities, and by sharing our own stories with other people. We build relationships We pray for opportunities and we share our own story.
You know, we don't need to go door to door or start cold calling people. You know, the most fertile ground for a conversation about Jesus is within the context of a relationship that you already have. The first step is always to build a relationship with another person. And after all, you need to earn the right to share what you believe with other people. And you can only do that by earning their trust through relationship. All the while, you're praying for opportunities. You're praying for the opportunities to develop those relationships. And you're praying that the opportunities within those relationships would surface. But when those opportunities come, (laughs) then it's time to share. It's time to share your story. And I I mean your story. Tell them about what Jesus has done for you and in your life. Share with them what having God in your life has done for you and what difference that has made in your life. Share with them why that gives you ultimate hope. Pass on that legacy that you have because that legacy is God's legacy. By passing on God's legacy, we make our own legacy, a red-letter legacy, by making him known. Now, unfortunately, there's a terrible consequence when we as a church or as Christians fail to pass on this legacy and make Jesus known. I hate to say it, but many churches across the world today, they're just like the Jews in Jerusalem prior to Nehemiah coming on the scene. Just like them, they may be busy doing stuff. They may be open every week, just like the temple was. But even today, many play church without God being in their play. One day in 2003 in Corbin, Kentucky, an explosion suddenly and unexpectedly ripped through the CTA acoustics plant. Now, this plant fabricated uh, fiberglass insulation for automobiles. And and this explosion, it killed seven people and it seriously wounded several others. The the cause of this explosion was the ignition of what some know as uh, combustible dust. And something similar happened in Savannah, Georgia at a sugar refinery, and it claimed even more lives. You know, believe it or not, sugar, flour, (laughs) and other common substances are just as flammable as gasoline when there are these fine dusts. Many farmers know this because there's been many granary explosions over the years. And such was the case with a particular resin at this plant in Kentucky. Now, the ironic thing was that the people who worked there, they saw this black dust and they thought, well, that can't be good. We better do something about it. So they wore protective clothing, they swept it up, and and they even used air compressors to blow it out of all the nooks and crannies of the plant. But in so doing, it it kicked the dust up even finer so that it came to rest on all the little nooks and crannies of the building. And one day, there was this fire flare-up from one of the ovens that was part of their manufacturing process. And it caused this minor explosion to take place. Now, that would have been just a Close call, be like, whoa, <laughs> we better check that out. But the problem with, with that was that it actually rattled the building so much that it shook loose all that dust that was sitting in all the places they couldn't see. And what happened was it caused a chain reaction that cascaded through the entire plant. Only later was it discovered that the very things that they were doing, that they believed were right, were actually what caused this tragedy to happen in the first place. And had they known that what they were doing would cause this, they would have never done it. They didn't know the the truth about what they were doing. Now, our world, now getting back to the message here, in our country, our community right here in Walla Walla is filled with people that don't know the truth. But it's also filled with people who think that they're doing the right thing. They're playing church, 
but sometimes without God in the play. And here's the, 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 the stakes for this. How can people who don't know the truth about Jesus know if they don't hear about him from somebody else? How can they hear about him if we as Christians and as a church don't make him known? The tendency is for us to focus on ourselves rather than on those who still don't know God. And if we're not careful, we'll become like a hospital that exists only to serve its own employees. We need to remind ourselves that nothing touches the heart of God and makes heaven celebrate more than someone being reached with the good news of Jesus and his love and his grace. Now, I know that with anything worthwhile that we set out to do, we want to do it, we want to get traction, but as with many of our resolutions, we say, well, we'll get around to it. Inevitably, getting around to it never seems to work out for us. But we need to make this work, and we need to get traction. So it's time to make this practical. Rather than trying to save the world in one day, we simply need to take that one small step, one day at a time, of building relationships, praying for opportunities, and then sharing our story. To give an example, that's, that's what Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger did. As a recent movie by his name highlighted, decisions that he made in just 208 seconds on that fateful flight 1549 on January 15th, 2009, defined who he was and what his legacy would be. In what became known as the Miracle on the Hudson, in just a few minutes, he successfully landed his disabled Airbus A320 in the near-freezing waters of the Hudson River. And in so doing, he saved 155 passengers and crew, and likely hundreds more of potential casualties had that plane crashed in the buildings of New York City. But this act of heroism, this red-letter day, it was actually the sum total of over four decades of terrific flying and leadership experience that nobody knew about. It was also the combined efforts of over 300 people who enabled all of these passengers to make it out. You see, what makes a red-letter day a red-letter day is all the ordinary black-letter days. The ordinary deposits that we faithfully make each day, God can use them, He does use them, and He's moving even in those ordinary things that we do each and every day. So all of us here have a choice to make. What will become our legacy? If you're a follower of Christ, then commit to make him known this year. Right here and right now in your own current circumstances, no matter how much you know about the Bible or not, imagine then what it would look like if all of us in our collective circles made it our purpose this year to make him known. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're somebody who has not decided to follow Jesus, then I want you to sit back and relax. I don't want to put you on the hook. In fact, I want to put other people on the hook. Because if you have a friend that you know you believe is a follower of Jesus, or if you don't have a friend, one of the pastors or myself, put us on the spot. Put that person on the spot. And at some point in the future, ask them to have them tell you their story. Have them tell you their story. As Brad had kind of alluded to in the, the, the announcements this morning, only what's done for Christ will last. Sharing our story and telling others about Jesus is how we make him known in this world. That's what touches the heart of God. It's the essence of being a follower of Jesus. And it's the only way that we're going to leave a red-letter legacy.
then we too can pray as Nehemiah did and say, remember me for this, O God, and show me mercy according to your great love.